from Quoted Studios, this is Blank on Blank, distributed by the public radio exchange PRX.org. I'm David Gerlach, and we're continuing our special series called The Experimenters. We're featuring icons from the worlds of science, technology, and innovation. Support for this series comes from Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform where it's easy to create a website, portfolio, blog, or online store. With modern templates, simple drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support, you can build a professional website in minutes. For a 14-day free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com slash blank on blank. Now to this week's episode and the producer of The Experimenters, Amy Drozdowska. If you don't really have a head for math and science, physics may be the most intimidating subject of them all. It's space and time, the makeup of the entire universe, incredibly abstract and mind-bending stuff, and enough to make a lot of students throw in the towel. And that's where Professor Richard Feynman really made his mark. Of course, he did all kinds of groundbreaking work, like his theory of quantum electrodynamics. He proposed the parton model in the field of particle physics. He was even part of the atomic bomb project. But he was also an amazing teacher, this dynamic and charismatic lecturer who made physics fun. He was one of those rare people who not only naturally understood math and science, he was actually able to make other people understand it too, and like it. Starting in 1966, science historian Charles Weiner interviewed Richard Feynman as part of a big oral history project at the American Institute of Physics. Recording hours of conversation, Weiner captured the details of Feynman's entire career, his whole life. In those hours, Feynman talked about his earliest memories, what and who shaped the world-famous physicist and teacher he'd later become. And most influential of all, a man who was neither a scientist nor a mathematician, a man who didn't even have a formal education, his dad. Here's the tape. My father, he interested me in patterns at the very beginning, and then later in things, like we would turn over stones and watch the ants carry the little white babies down deeper into the hole. We would look at worms, where we go for walks, and we'd look at things all the time. The stars, the way birds fly. He was always telling me interesting things. I mean, this story is a rumor, as far as I'm concerned, but the story is that before I was born, he told my mother that if it's a boy, he'll be a scientist. My father used to sit me on his lap, and the one book we did use all the time was the Encyclopedia Britannica. And he used to sit me on his lap when I was a kid and read out of the damn thing. There would be pictures of dinosaurs, and then he would read, you know, the long words of dinosaurs and so-and-so, attains a length of so-and-so many feet. And he would always stop, and he would say, you know what that means? It means if the dinosaur is standing on our front yard in your bedroom window, you know, is on the second floor, you'd see out through the window his head standing looking at you. He would translate everything, and I learned to translate everything, so it's the same disease. When I read something, I always translate it in the best I can into what does it really mean. I see, I can remember my father talking, talking, talking. When you go into the museum, for example, there are great rocks which have long cuts, grooves in them from glacier. And I remember the first time going, and he stopped there, and he explained to me about the ice moving and grinding, and I can hear the voice practically. And then he would tell me, how do you think we know there are glaciers in the past? <laughs> then he would point out, that's what we're looking at, that these rocks are found in, in New York, and so there must have been ice in New York. He understood 
The thing that was very important about my father is not the facts, but the process, the meaning, how we find out what is the consequence of finding such a rock. But that's the kind of guy he was. I don't think he ever successfully went to college. However, he, he did teach himself a great deal. He read a lot. He liked the rational mind and liked those things which could be understood by thinking. It's not hard to understand I got interested in science. I got a laboratory in my room. We also played a trick on my mother there. We put sodium ferrocyanide in the towels and another substance, an iron salt, probably alum, in the soap. And when they come together, they make blue ink. So we were supposed to fool my mother, you see. She would wash her hand. And then when she dried them, the towel, would, the hands would turn blue. But we didn't think the towel would turn blue. Anyway, she was horrified, the screams of my good linen towels and stuff. <laughs> but she was always cooperative. She never was afraid of the experiments. The bridge partners would tell her, how can you let the child have a laboratory and blow up the house and all this kind of stuff? And she just said, it's worth it. I mean, it's worth the risk. I took later solid geometry and trigonometry. In solid geometry was the first time I had any mathematical difficulties. It was my only experience with how it must feel to the ordinary human being. And then I discovered what was wrong. The diagrams that they were being drawn on the blackboard were three-dimensional, and I was thinking of them as plain diagrams, and I couldn't understand what the hell was going on. It was a mistake in the orientation. When he would draw pictures, and I would see a parallelogram, and he called it a square because it was tilted out of the plane, you know, and I, oh, God, this thing doesn't make any sense. What is he talking about? It was a terrifying experience, it, butterflies in my stomach kind of feeling. But it was just a dumb mistake. But I suspect that this kind of a dumb mistake is quite common to people learning mathematics, that part of missing understanding is to mistake what it is you're supposed to know. It isn't a question of learning anything precisely, but of learning that there's something exciting over there. And I think that the same thing happens to my father. My father really never knew anything in detail, but would tell me what's interesting about the world and where, if you look, you'll find still more interest. And so then later I would say, well, this is going to be good. I know this has got something to do with this, which is hot stuff, you know. This kind of feeling of what was important. And that is the key. The key was somehow to know what was important and what was not important and what was exciting, because I can't learn everything. Physicist Richard Feynman, speaking from his home in Altadena, California, with science historian Charles Weiner in 1966. This interview is part of a huge collection of oral histories housed at the Niels Bohr Library and Archives at the American Institute of Physics. You can learn more about their collection, covering all the important discoveries in the field of physics over the past 100 years at AIP.org. This episode is the final installment of our science and innovation series, The Experimenters. Thanks again to Squarespace for their support. Support for this series also comes from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information on Sloan at sloan.org. You can watch the animated version of this episode on our website, blankonblank.org. David Gerlach is the executive producer of Blank on Blank. This episode was produced by me, Amy Drozdowska, along with David. 
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and now Instagram, and learn just what we're uncovering lately in the archives. Before we go, kids are too smart to dumb things down for, aren't they? Especially when that kid is Richard Feynman. The thing that I loved was everything I read was serious. It wasn't written for a child. I didn't like children. One of the things I was very, very, and still am, very sensitive and very worried about is that the thing be dead on it, that it isn't fixed up so it looks easy. Details purposely left out or slightly erroneous explanations in order to get away with it. This was intolerable. I kind of try to imagine what would happen to me if I lived in today's era. I'm rather horrified. I think there are too many books that the mind gets boggled. If I got interested, I would have so many things to look at, I would go crazy. It's too easy. <laughs>